It's good to be here with you. Welcome back to those of you who've been away traveling and those students who are back to school. Uh, it's really great to be back here with you. Uh, this morning, we are going to continue to contemplate what it means to be a disciple of Jesus through the lens of Romans chapter 12. Last week, we looked at Romans 12 verses 1 to 8. If you have a Bible, actually, it might be really helpful for you to follow along today because we're going to be in it a lot, especially Romans 12. Um, in Romans 12, 1 to 8, the Apostle Paul, he starts out with a therefore. He says, therefore, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Whenever we see a therefore in Scripture, we need to read back and see what the therefore is there for. And when we read back in Romans chapter 1 to 11, we see what God's mercy looks like. The living God who created all of us has rescued us from sin and evil and death through the cross and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And instead of trying to figure out our own lives in our own strength and wisdom and with our limited resources, there's a new way that's been opened up for us, whereby the risen Jesus becomes our Lord, our Savior. He rescues us literally from the things that are trying to draw us away from God. He becomes our teacher. He becomes our best friend, closer to us than our very breath. He becomes the lover of our souls. When we call upon Jesus, He's there. When we are struggling, when we're suffering, when we're in pain, he's there. He is our ever-present help in times of trouble. He comforts those who mourn. He provides for all of our needs. He guides, protects, speaks, and he will never leave us or forsake us because his love for us is never-ending. It's never failing. It's always and forever. And nothing can separate us from his love. It's very good news. Paul is saying, therefore, in light of all of this, in light of all of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, the only appropriate response is for us to surrender completely to him. This is what Paul means when he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices to God. Surrender how you think. Surrender your will, what you love, your desires, your emotions. Surrender every single dimension of your life to Jesus. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is what it means to worship. It means to let go of everything and allow Jesus to reorient your life around living with God at the center. Be transformed by the way that you think. And then, as we do this over time, we're able to discern God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's Romans chapter, one, chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. And then we looked at verses 3 to 8. Paul describes how each member of the body of Christ has been given a particular gift that is like hardwired into us. There are seven gifts. He names seven gifts, prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and mercy. When God created you, he created you with a built-in motivation and a desire. Each of us has been hardwired in a way to serve in one of these seven ways. Now, when you look at this list, and I talked to a few of you last Sunday about this, 
when you look at this list, you might think to yourself, well, I'm actually a combination of a lot of these different gifts. And that's true to some extent. Many of us have learned how to function in a number of these ways because of our our jobs and because of our experience as um, Christians, just just learning how to to do different things. And then as disciples of Jesus, there's a sense in which we're called to do a number of these things because Jesus tells us to. For example, he says, we're all called to serve, like we see Jesus doing when he picks up a towel and he washes his disciples' feet. We're all called to serve. We're all called to show mercy because we are brought into fellowship with the God of mercy who shows mercy to us. So we're to show mercy to other people. And then we're, we're all called to give in some way. For Jesus says it is better to give than it is to receive. But I think Paul would say that even though we may see within ourselves a combination of these motivations... Each of us is driven by a primary motivation that God has hardwired into us. For example, the motivation of prophecy is to see and then help other people see. The motivation of service is to help fulfill the needs of other people. The motivation of teaching is to understand and then to help other people understand. The motivation of exhortation is to come alongside and help others take the next step in their walk with Christ. The motivation of giving is to make resources available. The motivation of leading is to get the job done. The motivation of mercy is to be there for others. When we are serving out of our primary motivation, not only are others blessed, but we are blessed. Serving out of our motivation resonates with the core of who we are. It affirms our longing for purpose, and we discover our unique place in the church, in the body of Christ. Now, last Sunday, in describing these seven gifts, I also mentioned how each gift has a potential downside. Prophets can be easily offended when others don't see the way that they see. Servants can get overwhelmed with all of the needs, and they can overextend themselves Teachers can get frustrated when, people don't, when, when their students don't understand. Exhorters can become impatient when people aren't willing to take that next step. Givers can get hurt when the, the resources that they've invested in aren't used in the way that they think they should be used. Leaders can get exhausted, overexerting themselves, trying to micromanage things because they're not delegating and they can become controlling And then the merciful can get stuck and weighed down when others are not making progress. So how do we overcome these potential downsides? How do we continue to grow in this grand vision of God's mercy for us? How do we continue to affirm who we are in Christ and develop our gifts? Maybe some of us are still trying to discover what those gifts are, but how do we grow in this way? Well, Paul tells us, starting in verse 9, he says, let love be genuine. Uh, The word genuine is um, not hypocritical. A hypocrite is, is someone who pretends to be somebody else. Don't let your love be hypocritical. Genuine love, not hypocritical love, is what we see in Jesus. Verses 9 to 21 are a description of how Jesus loves and the incredible miracle that happens when we submit and surrender our lives to Jesus 
is that he then empowers us to love like he loves. What does the love of Jesus look like? I'm just going to go through a number of these different things. The, 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 the frustrating thing with this passage is that there's not a whole lot of structure, actually. He, Paul just seems to be firing out all of these, these imperatives, these commands. So I'm going to try to bring some structure to it, but I'm not, I'm not imposing it. I'm just trying to help us enter into it. So let me, let me just go through a number of these here. The love of Jesus is discerning. Paul says, hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Jesus was so passionately devoted to doing the will of his Father that he hated, it's a very strong word, he hated anything that prevented people from coming to him and entering into this fellowship. He was furious when he walked into the temple and he saw the money changers occupying the place where the Gentiles were supposed to be praying. He took a little child and said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and then thrown into the sea. Jesus was against all forms of religiosity that promoted a kind of self-righteousness. He hates anything that would prevent people or prevent us from coming to him because he is the source of life and love and goodness. The love of Jesus is affectionate. Verse 10 reads, love one another with mutual affection. Paul is actually bringing together two words that are related to how we relate to our families. Love one another is the Greek word philostorgos, which describes the action, the affection, sorry, of a, of a, of a parent to a, to a child. And then mutual affection is the Greek word Philadelphia, which is often translated as brotherly love. And it describes the affection between brothers and sisters. Paul is taking these two family words and then he's applying them to the family of God. As we receive the affectionate love of Jesus, we share it with one another like a parent loves a child and like brothers and sisters who enjoy being together. I, you know, as a parent, I just love I, I can't tell you how, it's, it's like my greatest joy when I see my kids getting along and playing together and just having fun together and enjoying one another. And I think God feels that way with us. He just takes great delight when he sees us loving one another and having affection for one another. The love of Jesus is honorable. Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. To honor someone is to show them respect. It's to acknowledge the good that you see in others. It's to recognize the value and the worth of each other. Jesus honored people all the time. Uh, when he was in a, a home of, of Simon the leper, a woman took a, an, an entire bottle of very expensive perfume and anointed Jesus' head. Some of his disciples who saw this, they got upset. They were thinking, wow, what a waste. We could have used this perfume to, to sell it and then, and then to give it to the poor. But Jesus responds, this woman has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you're always going to have with you, but you will not always have me. I tell you the truth. Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory, in honor of her. When we honor Jesus, when we do simple acts of kindness in Jesus' name, he honors us before the Father. And we are to honor one another. The love of Jesus is diligent. Verse 11 
Do not lag or be lazy in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. A better translation would be, go on being filled with the Spirit so that you can serve the Lord diligently. How do we go on being filled with the Spirit? We practice Bible study, prayer, keeping the Sabbath, living in community, public worship like we're doing right now, service, silence, solitude, fasting, confession, all these things, all these practices, they don't transform us, but they get us into a place where the Spirit of God can work in us and transform us from the inside out. And as we are filled with the life of God, not only are we empowered to serve the Lord diligently, Paul says in verse 12, we are empowered to rejoice in hope. We're empowered to to endure suffering. We're empowered to persevere in prayer. It's amazing. The more you pray, the more you want to pray. The love of Jesus is also generous. Verse 13, he sa- uh, Paul says, contribute to the needs of the saints. St. John tells us very, something very similar in his first letter. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ, he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words, or speech, but with actions and in truth. The love of Jesus is also hospitable. We are to extend hospitality to strangers. Hospitality was especially important in the ancient world since inns, like their version of hotels, they, they were very few and far between, and they were often uh, unsafe. It was essential for Christians to open their homes to travelers One of the early church fathers, Oregon, he commented, we are not just to receive the stranger when he comes to us, but actually to inquire after, look carefully for strangers to pursue them and search them out everywhere, lest perchance somewhere they may sit in the streets or lie without a roof over their heads. This should be our attitude too. We are to seek people out and be intentional in pursuing hospitality, not just to our brothers and sisters in Christ, but to all people. And this leads to the next point, that the love of Jesus includes enemies. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. This is what we see Jesus doing from the cross. The Roman soldiers beat him, they spit on him, they mocked him, they nailed him to the cross, while those who passed by hurled insults at him, and Jesus' response from the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Paul goes on in verses 17 to 21 to say, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought of for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. As it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, it's a kind of a funny thing to say, uh, heaping burning coals on someone's head. This is really just a way of saying... Um, 
It's a way of describing shame. Uh, when, when you show kindness to someone who's against you, uh, you, you may cause them to feel ashamed of their behavior, and God has this way, using your kindness towards them, of actually convicting them of what they're doing, and then possibly um, there's an opportunity there to reconcile the relationship. Now, let me qualify all of this. There, there might be situations when the, the kind thing to do is not to engage with your enemy, especially when to do so would mean to put you in harm's way. If someone has abused you, if you're a victim, you should not be seeking to try to reconcile the relationship with the person. Paul's not suggesting that those who are vulnerable should put themselves in harm's way. It's a really important thing to say. The key to interpreting, interpreting this, this section in a healthy way is to say, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. What Paul's getting at here is that we don't need to play evil's game on evil's terms. We don't need to be an echo of evil behavior. In Christ, we are now strengthened to overcome evil with good. The next thing, the love of Jesus is sympathetic. Verse 15, he's, Paul, Paul writes, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Jesus never stands aloof from our joys and our pain. He has compassion upon us. Compassion means to feel alongside someone. Jesus enters deeply into our experience and our emotion. He laughs with us, he cries with us, and he feels solidarity with us whatever mood we're in. The love of Jesus is also harmonious. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Harmony happens when different parts work together for a common goal. As the body of Christ, we have many members, and not all members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. Finally, the love of Jesus is humble. Do not be proud, Paul says, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. When we look at Jesus, we see that he was not ashamed to hang out with those who couldn't figure life out. He, he wasn't ashamed to hang out with those in low position. He hung out with fishermen. He hung out with tax collectors and the sick and the poor and women and children. The genuine love that Jesus invites us into and then shares with us is discerning, it's affectionate, it's honorable, it's diligent, generous, hospitable, sympathetic, harmonious, humble, and it overcomes evil with good. This is the new life that is being offered to us by Jesus. This is the kind of community that Jesus is cultivating by his spirit, which he calls the church. The love of God that we experience in Jesus transforms us and it empowers us to be the kind of people who love the way that Jesus loves. If you are here this morning and you would like to receive more of the love of Jesus,
then all you have to do is turn to him and ask. So let's do that now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you are our risen Lord and Savior. We acknowledge that you are here with us this morning by your Spirit. As we turn to you, we ask that you would expand our capacity to receive more of your love. Fill us with your love. Fill our homes with your love. Fill our workplaces and our schools with your love. Fill our church community here at St. Peter and St. Paul's with your love. And empower us to share your love with everyone we come into contact with. That we might grow to become our true selves and serve you the way that you are calling us to. Bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.